Welcome to Main Unstream. Real people, real experience and unfiltered intercourse, free from hype and hidden agendas, with your host Paul Lunker. Welcome to another episode of Main Unstream. Uh, today I am joined by a journalistic giant, George Hazim, the executive producer of The Informed TV. George, thank you very much for being here, mate, and welcome. Thank you, Paul. How are you? Mate, I'm uh, on the top side of the green, which uh, these days is pretty much as good as it gets, right? Now. <laughs> That's right. You're not playing golf, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, one day, but uh, my, my best my best performance in golf is at the 19th hole, my friend. So uh... <laughs> it's in the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, my ha- my handicap is off the charts. But oh, um, mate, well, I'm really grateful you made some time to come and talk to us today. One of the things. Um, I wanted to have a chat with you about is uh, what we're seeing last, especially the last couple of years, but it's really been coming for decades, hmm. is the um, the state of journalism, not, you know, yes, in Australia and also around the world. You are, uh, you know, you're old school journalism, you're an investigative journalist, you've been across so many different industries, government, etc. cetera. Um, and I believe it's one of the reasons you started up in former TV some time ago. What, what have you been seeing? What have you seen happen with, with, your industry for the last couple of years, especially, but even before? Well, look, you know, that's a really interesting question. You know, I've seen the industry deteriorate greatly over, you know, the past 10 to 12 years. But interestingly, in the past three years, especially since COVID, um, the advent of COVID, there's just been this dramatic, dramatic decline on a whole range of levels. It's just been you know, really frightening to the point where you think, wow, you know, the industry's really changed. You know, journalists who are meant to be journalists and now propagandists you know, for government on a whole range of levels. And yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's disturbing when you come to think of it because rather than holding government or corporate to account, they're now excusing government for a whole range of actions. Yeah, I mean, and that's um, yeah, as I said, that's disturbing. It's it's just not what should be you know be happening. I agree, and I you know um, I'm yet to see a uh, at least in Australia, even even German, Dutch, doesn't matter where I watch in the world, yeah. Austria, America. It's very rare you see uh, real hard questions being asked of politicians anymore, or of you know corporate elites. There's um, it's mostly softball questions. Well, yeah, look, well, exactly. Well, you have a look at, you know, Dan Andrews, the Dan Andrews press conferences that were taking place last year. I mean, they were sanitised. I mean, there were no journalists that ever got into that press conference. You know, you know, he'd stand up for half an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, and just do or say whatever he wanted to say. And no one challenged him. There were no hard yeah. questions. And the question was the softball questions. Like you know, I, you know, I remember when I, when I attended press conferences, the the presses you'd go to, they were there for you to ask questions, ask pertinent questions, challenge the you know you know the narrative, but that never happened, and only that happened when when Peter Credlin got into one press conference last year, yep. where she challenged Dan Andrews, and you could see, yeah, you know, how uncomfortable Andrews became. You know, with her line of question. Yeah, now, that, should happen, that should sorry, that should happen consistently throughout every all of his press conferences. But he just had carte blanche to say and do whatever he liked. And that's exactly what he's what he's aiming to achieve with his pandemic bill. To to do and to do and behave however he wants to behave. Hmm. I mean I, I grew up in the seventies. I was born in the sixties. I grew up in the seventies and early eighties, the younger years. And I recall journalists back then they they didn't take no for an answer. They would drill, drill, and they would drill, and they would drill further. And they could because they'd done their homework to find out some facts that didn't that usually the politicians or whoever was being questioned didn't want found mm-hmm. out. And you could see them squirm. And sure. we're not seeing that these days. No, you, there's, there's no squirming. No. <laughs> so, and and and. From that has grown this this uh, other industry called mm. fact checkers. 
And oh, really? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I was, was going to be polite for a little while longer. You know, hey, we'll get into. No, we'll get no, into no. That's you know, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad they got a, you know, they've got, a, they've got a, you know, a title that doesn't actually represent what they really do. No, no. They're, uh, in fact, I, I was thinking what's re maybe required in the parallel economy. I was at, uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Brenda Maloney the other day, mm. and uh, who's heavily into setting up the parallel economy and the parallel society. Um, and I was thinking what we need in the parallel society is our own set of fact checkers to fact check the people mm. on the other side. I, I hate yeah. using that term, the other side, because it's just so divisive. But you know, I think that's that's going to be the reality of, of, of the world maybe going well going forward. We're going to have yes. this split society. Um, we just have to make sure we get the army and, the, and you know, get the military with us. Yeah, well, you know, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't been with anyone so far, so, you know. No, true. Yeah, look, I mean, it's an interesting concept setting up a parallel universe, a parallel universe or economy, but how do you do it? I mean, I'm... Just, there would be heaps of challenges that you have to overcome. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, and and one one of them is information. You know, listen. If, if we look at, if we look at what's happening today, you know, what's what I see in the the media and journalistic journalistic industry, is, you know, I use that term very very loosely, um, is the media has become the propaganda arm of the corporation. So if you look look at any corporation, what they need? They need operations, they need sales and marketing, they need executive, they need production, they need communications, all the rest of it. And what we're seeing, what we see in the world today with all of these uh, mandates and, and the, the pandemic and everything else is we see a, if you take a big step back, you see a huge corporation behind it. Um, so what is simply required in the parallel society is the same. You need, you know, how do you how do you start? Well, you start by saying no. You start by saying no. We're not going to uh, we're not going to comply. We're not going to pay taxes. We're not going to pay your fines. We're not going to give you anything which gives you the ability to govern us. Hmm. And well, just up your own system. Sorry. Look, uh, look, you you, you hear, um, I mean, you hear a whole range of. Um, Especially around the, the issue of, of the, the vaccines and what the agenda may really be, and I, look, I mean, I, I, I genuinely believe it's not about health. Hmm. And you know, if you espouse the belief, the theory that well, it's more to, to do with you know, control and power. Well, it is because if you say to someone, "I'm not an anti-vaxxer." I um I believe in vaccines, but I don't believe in the vaccines that are being uh, that are be, that are being produced. You suddenly move from being someone who's been vaccinated to being yeah, a, a tinfoil hat wearer or an anti-vaxxer. How do you make that leap? I don't get it, because if you're applying a level of, of common sense and saying, well, you know, there's you've, you've had a vaccine that's been developed in six to nine months without all the appropriate testing, safeguarding, safe checks, years of data that takes for you to be able to then come to the, a decision where, yes, they are safe, suddenly being foisted upon people, and here you've got to, uh, you've got to take it with consent removed, mandates applied, you being coerced. How do you... And how do you, how do you how do you want to, how do you, can be, how can you be party? Well, I know I can't. Yeah. However, you know, people, people are, they're being coerced, they're being, you know, being held to ransom, a whole range of issues. Now, if you don't comply, and the objective is, as you very well know, and as, you, as everyone who is going to be watching knows, that if you don't comply, you suddenly become part of a, of a, of a two-class system. Yeah, where you're allowed to function, you're allowed to live, or you're allowed to not. But if if everyone decides to say, well, no, we're not going to comply, or we're not going to be party to your to your mandates, well, guess what happens? It collapses. Correct. Correct. I mean, uh, don't, sorry. 
But by dangling a whole range of carrots, I mean, it's, a, it's a characteristic theory. You know, you dangle the carrot in front of the donkey, the donkey tries to get the carrot, but it'll never get the carrot. Yep. But you're dangling a carrot in front of people saying, well, you know, you, you, know, you won't be able to travel, you won't be able to go to restaurants, you won't be able to have haircuts, you won't be able to do all sorts of stuff. And so that what they do, they go and pursue the carrot. That's what they've been doing. Correct. And, and, um, and they can do it. And they do. And that's how they've roped people in. But they've attached jobs to it. They've attached, you know, they've attached being able to see family, they've closed borders. So it's insidious what they're doing. And it's genuinely, genuinely evil, especially on the basis of you're holding people to ransom. And, and now in Austria, they're actually threatening them with jail time. Well, there you go. Because you no longer have self-determination about your own health. You, have, you no longer have self-determination about what you want to do in terms of whether you want to take a vaccine or don't take a vaccine. And if you don't particularly believe in, a, in that vaccine that's being given, especially if there's no safety data around it, there's no efficacy, and, and it's skipped the, the animal testing trial phase, and then you become the trial phase, well, people have got to write the question and say, no, I don't want it. Yep. You know, I don't no, know what you give me. I totally agree. Now, how do we get that in front of, you know, from, from the perspective of the media, how do we get that sort of discussion in front of the politicians to, in, in a way where they have to address it, where they have to respond? Because, you know, going back to your question, how do you create a parallel society? Well, yes, you say no, you, you remove their ability to govern, you automatically become a second, a second, not second tier necessarily, but a second society because you are working outside of what they provide. Um, but you need to bring more people with you. We don't need everyone. No, no, no. But look, if there's a majority that comes and says, no, this isn't right. See, and the media's played an insidious part in this as well because they've helped push the narrative that these are safe vaccines. But really, they're not safe because what you're finding is that a lot more, there are a lot more vaccine injuries as a result of, you know, of the mRNA, mRNA vaccines, of the Pfizer vaccines and the Moderna vaccines and the increase of pericarditis and myocarditis, you know, blood clotting, all sorts of things. A lot of it's underreported. Hmm. And because if they were actually reported properly and the numbers were true in terms of what people were experiencing and the death rates and the injury rates, well, the whole suddenly there's got this dramatic shift in change in people's think and how people are, you know, how people start to view the vaccines and their safety. Compared to what they think, compared to what they're thinking now. Look, I had an argument with someone once, but I couldn't understand why they were they saw it necessary to hop on social media and say, "Oh, I've got my first vaccine. Oh, now I'm part of it." I mean, that's it's, it's forming a, it's being party to an informing insidious part of class division. Why would you want to do it? How can you get the vaccine? You get the vaccine. That's fine. Yeah. When, but, when, did, when did you have your last SCI exam and uh, did you test positive for gonorrhea? I mean, right. why don't you tell us that? That's right. There you go. But they don't. They don't. They don't. But, but this is the level of brainwashing that now exists. And, you know, I, look, I think from that perspective, um, you know, people are now brought into it and they think it's a great thing. But, you know, but now you're getting a whole range of people now saying, oh, now, even though we've been vaccinated, with double facts, we've been, we've been coerced into doing it. We don't want to do it. That's why you see protests like the one that took place in Melbourne last weekend. We had, a, you know, I think you would have had around about a million people there. Yeah. I mean, I was in Sydney. I was in Sydney last two weekends. Um, and there was at least 100 to 200 the first time and at least two to 300 the second time. Melbourne was even bigger, obviously. Yeah. And those numbers will continue to grow because now I think people are starting to wake up mm. to what has been sold was a was a lie and look and when you had the fda in the us want to sanction the release of of data around 
around um, around Pfizer until 2075. Why? And I heard someone say, well, okay, well, until that data is released in 2075, you know, until I know what that data is, I won't have the vaccine. I won't have the vaccine until 2075. I reckon that's a fair argument. Yep. Reasonable argument. 100%. Yeah, listen, I say to people as well, so you have to, I will, I will gladly take your jab. I refuse to call it a vaccine, mind you. Um, they had to change the definition of what a vaccine is in order to accommodate it, even as a so-called genetic vaccine. So um, I say, listen, firstly, you have to prove to me uh, a need. And you can't, because statistically, there is no need. That's right. Statistically, I, I, have, I have more chance of dying from, from a car crash. Um, so you have to prove a need. And then you have to prove that it's safe. And you can't prove it's safe because, well, safety testing takes about 20 years. Yeah. Yep. And so basically come back in 20 years and we'll have a conversation. Bring your data then. But 27, mm. 2075 sounds like a good idea. And frankly, you have to ask yourself this, you know, why, if this were all about health, why is Pfizer demanding that many nations, specifically South American nations, and probably the same in Australia, we just don't know because we've never seen the contracts. And we, I, I believe as a, as, a, as a people, we have the right to see those contracts. Hmm. But in South America, Pfizer demanded that the countries put up their military, amongst other assets, their military bases hmm. as guarantee of security for the product. Now, I realize I'm going to be, you know, people might think it's being a bit hyperbolic, but these jabs are being referred to as bioweapons by a lot of people. Hmm. So therefore, it logically concludes that someone with a bioweapon needs a military base. Otherwise, why do you need a military base? But that, but that also raises the question, why would, why, would you, why would Big Pharma want to be involved in building bioweapons, establishing bioweapons? Why? Good question. What, you know, what's their end game? When well, you're there to use pharmaceuticals mm. for, the, for the health and best interests of, you know, of mankind. It is a thing, you know, because that's a really, really great question, George, right? And and most people will say, oh, they're obviously not, they're not bioweapons or whatever. And others will be, you know, there are bioweapons. As soon as one says, or, or, you know, says, oh, that's not happening, they cut themselves off from the possibility of the conversation. Yeah. As soon as they stop thinking about what is logical in their world, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah, as soon as they stop thinking by thinking only about what is logical in their world, as opposed to thinking under what circumstances would it be logical for them to create a bioweapon? You see, it's the same, same argument as with cults. Mm-hmm. You know, these cults that go and commit mass suicide. Oh, they must have all been crazy. They all thought they were going up to, to, to ascend into heaven and be with the aliens. Hmm. Right? They must be crazy. They must be doped up. They must be drugged. They must be brainwashed. They must be whatever. But as soon as you label them any of those things, you stop to understand why they did it because maybe they actually believed they were going up there. Maybe that was their fundamental belief and then it's the most logical thing to do is to kill themselves. So if you apply that to pharmaceutical companies and bioweapons, what is their absolute logical reason? Also, also look at everything that's happening around you. And if you say, okay, well, all those dots connect up in a really, it's really misunderstood sort of way. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay, it's just people being stupid. My father, mind you, right? My father, who for years has sent me every piece of media clipping that he could about legislation in Australia and drawing a parallel with the Nazi Germany legislation. He's all on board with what's happening. He's like... Well, it's just, pe- you know, just pe- people being human and making mistakes. You don't get to make that many mistakes. So good well, question. What, what is it? What's well, your thought? Well, you know, I mean, look, yeah, Pfizer's always been aggressive. I mean, Pfizer's got history. I mean, you'd go back to the Second World War and, and Germany. Mm. It's obviously it was involved back in a whole range of testing um, around various drugs that will be that will be administered to, to a lot of uh, you know, um, members of uh, you know, children it was engaged it was it, it was evil what they were doing in terms of 
their testing on in terms of how certain drugs impact on on on, on disabled children, children that were um, that were homeless, that came from who were orphaned, whole range. But it seems like it's now continued continued on. And I, look, I could be wrong, you know, but it's continued on from what was taking place in the 30s and 40s to 80 years later. But it's a lot yep. more sophisticated, a lot more advanced. You know, there's not a world war happening in the in the physical sense, but there is a world that but it is a, a type of war that it's enacting on people with with unproven, untested technology. Yep. So what else would you declare it as? Well, what could I'm you declare it as? I, I declare it as a war, not metaphorically. I've spoken to enough ex-military people who've served in various theatres of war who say, you know, we've we've participated um, in psyops before. That's what we used to do with with the pe people of the country where we were in. And I'm not talking uh, necessarily Australian troops. I'm talking U uh, U.S., U.K., German, Dutch, Belgian troops, including the the Dutch equivalent of, of Delta Force and things like this. Mm -hmm. And they say to me, "Listen." The stuff that is happening now is identical to the stuff that we would do as part of our campaign to pacify local militia or whatever it was we were in there to do. So we are at war, not mm. metaphorically. Sure, there are no guns. The big problem with this current war is that it's simple. There are no allies coming to save us. That's right. Sorry. Well, I'm glad, no, man, I'm glad it was yours and not mine. No, I, I thought I'd switched it off. Apologies. All good. All good. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and you mentioned, you mentioned the clinical trial. There are actually two clinical trials running at the moment, and I did an episode on this a couple of days ago. There are two clinical trials running. And there's the one that we see, which is, as you say, underreported. What, you, what are your thoughts on the underreporting? Let's talk about that for a bit. Yeah. Well, my thoughts on, my thoughts on underreporting is... That's part of the pro that's part of the propaganda, mm. and the underreporting gets oh, the underreporting plays a, a major part in what's been happening and why people have have bought into the narrative that they're bought into, and they're why they're bought into the this, what what's an obvious level of form of deceit, and that and that underreporting. Has created a whole range of issues and problems that come with it. Misinformation, um, you know, you have, you know, lies being told, uh, untruths, factual, major factual errors, the whole lot. And when people are ill-informed or misinformed, they make decisions. They make, they form opinions based on the information that they're given. And that's your problem. Yep. And they have plausible deniability. That's right. That's right. Oh, but then it also gets back to the problem of um, being limiting your limiting the news sources that you your information you get from your news sources. So you know, if you stick to, for example, just one particular news source, and that's where you're getting all your information from. You know, you're not broadening your, your ability to consume information and then be able to form a whole range of different opinions uh, and then say, okay, well, this is said, that said, um, that that's contradictory to that, that sounds a lot more plausible, that doesn't, and then you have the ability to make a, make an informed decision. But when you limit your limit when you limit your you know your intake of your of your news source and news references. You're doing yourself a major injustice. Hundred percent agree. Now, re reflecting on what happened um, post nineteen forty five and the the trials that ensued, mm. because it's not just the media and the government participating in this. There, are, you know, doctors and nurses and scientists, especially doctors and nurses, participating. Mm -hmm. What do you think should happen once this is over? Well, okay, that's a very good question. Well. There's got to be a major clean out uh, in terms of who's been running our country. 
So our politicians have got a lot to answer to, mm. especially being allowed to be to be dictated to by foreign interest. Now, for example, you know when you have the federal government underwriting Pfizer to the point where that they remove um, that they remove from them any form of liability. You've got to ask yourself why. Why would a federal, why would why would a country's own government, and they did it, and the US did this back in 1986 when Pfizer went to um to uh, to Reagan and and the US Congress, and they said we need to be we need to be indemnified from um, any legal suit because vaccines aren't safe. Go figure. Go figure. So they've come, they've come to Australia and they've said exactly the same thing. And the federal government said, right, we're going to under, you know, we're going to remove any liability that you may incur, and we're going to set up a, we're going to set up a, a vaccine injury fund. And what's the most you can get? As I, as I believe, five thousand dollars. I'm not, I'm speaking from the top of my head here, right? But why would you do that? If these are safe, mm-hmm. why would you, why would you provide? A very aggressive pharmaceutical company that's known to be bullish, aggressive in terms of how it markets its products, and it's been like that for many, 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 many years. Well, why, why would you give them protection? I mean, governments are meant to be serving in the interest of its people. Well, they are. It's a major corporate. They've, they've, they have certainly forgotten their role. Right? That's right. That's right. And people need to ask that question. Why? Why would a government? Why would a government do that? Why would a government give a major pharmac- a global major pharmaceutical company, exemption from being sued? And you mentioned the fund. You know, whether it's five or ten grand or whatever it is, you have to first prove that you had an adverse effect from one of their jabs. And given the underreporting and the gaslighting that we keep hearing from doctors towards their patients, oh no, that wasn't the vaccine, right? But see, that gaslighting comes from the, the, the you know the fear that's now been created by APRA. Mm-hmm. Well, APRA made it quite clear earlier this year that if you're a doctor and you went out there and you spoke ill of the vaccines, they're going to target you. The TGA. It's out there promoting vaccines. It's meant to be there as a regulatory body to safeguard and work in the interest of the people. The people. But it's not. It's now working in the interest of pharmaceutical companies. Yep. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the TGA has a reporting system where if you're a doctor, there's a there's a, a vaccine injury, for example, then the doctor's meant to report it. The TGA don't actively go out and seek that information. They go out. The, the, the expectation is on a person or a doctor to report the injury. Now, I can tell you categorically that people who have made complaints to the TGA have been told, oh, no, we're not, we're not, we can't deal with it. Oh, you have, to, you have to go. You have to go to your health department. Nuts! It is, it's crazy. In the it's UK, they have the orange card. What was that? Sorry. Is it in the UK the doctors have the orange card? That's right. So I mean, when you when and it gets back to the issue of coercion. So when you've got doctors' livelihoods being threatened, they then they then go back and reassess: is this really worth you know, me sacrificing my career? But sometimes. You've got to take a step and say, "Well, hang on. Am I working for the interests of my patients?" Yeah, and look, and always in a two-horse race, you back self-interest. I get that. Yeah. Sometimes there's a moral judgment you've got to make as well. Well, I know all about that, mate. My wife, who uh, was a registered nurse in the Netherlands, and whose qualifications through the uh, ultimate uh, wisdom of the Australian government were recognised here. God, God knows why. 
Um, in any case, she was still, she still found uh, employment in New South Wales Health and was working yeah. for them for two years. She's now because you know, one has to, like you say, one one also has to make a moral mm. choice, which she did um, on based on the jab, but also based on what she's seen, and she saw an increase until the until the day when she was suspended. Well, put on it's officially called uh, pay without leave. Until that day, she saw regularly every day. She saw um, half a dozen, up to a dozen patients hmm. who had blood clots, strokes, heart attacks, and a range of other things. Hmm. But when they asked the doctor, "Do you think this might be the vaccine?" The doctor said, "No, no, 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 it wouldn't be the vaccine." And the nurses, "No, no, 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 no it wouldn't be the vaccine." Really? And I'm not saying they're all ultimately healthy, but a good percentage of them. And I'm taking this from what my wife says, you know, and we've been married for over 20 years. So I think I can trust her word enough. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a percentage of them, a good percentage of them were very healthy, never had a problem in their life. That's right. That's right. Look, you know, I've, look, I know five doctors who are very, you know, who are uh, extremely high profile. Mm -hmm. He'll tell you don't take the vaccines. Yeah. yeah ask so what about what about this? You know, one thing I've noticed is this, right? Just this. Hmm. There's all been there's been this fear mongering. I mean, the, the reason for I know the answer to the question to agree before, but I want to get hmm. your take. There's been all this fear mongering. Oh, there's the this variant, then there's the Delta variant, now there's the moronic variant, and all the rest of it, right? Hmm. The fear mongering just goes on. Um, not once, not once have I seen in the last two years anybody from a government health department, state government, federal government, minister, mm -hmm. whatever, suggest anything that a person can do to go and get healthy. With the exception of, oh, you're allowed out for one, for one hour a day during lockdown to go for a walk, so go and get some walks so you get some exercise. Mm. Where have been the recommendations of staying healthy? Supplements people can take, types of food people can eat so that they get the nutrients in, fresh air, sunlight, vitamin D, uh, exercise, reduce. You know, it's ironic that fast food was open the entire damn time. You could go and get a Macca's. Bottle shops. Bottle shops, tobacco, you know. Hey, listen, I enjoy a good cigar and I enjoy a good rum. But you know what? It's... All of the stuff that kills you, hmm. you can get access to. Why? Why was there nothing suggesting, hey, this is how you get healthy. This is how you be healthy. If you want to have this chance of recovery, then this is what you've got to go and do. Well, why would you want people to be healthy? Yes, I know. If you're God running a particular agenda and everything. Well, well, I mean, it's a cynical part of it, but I mean, why would you want people to be healthy? Yes, yeah, terribly naive of me. Sorry, George. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just fascinated because, you know, I mean, the healthier you are, the greater your ability to fight off, you know, you know, disease or viruses, whatever it may be. But if you allow people to deteriorate health-wise, then the cynical part of me will say, well, you know, you let people deteriorate health-wise, it helps feed the narrative, um, then that means that they that they have more control over you because they can say well you, you're sick you need to be um, vaccinated you need to be indoors all sorts of things yeah it's a, look it's a fascinating game of behavioral manipulation that they play it's psychological manipulation now if you're aware of it and you like to critically think you say well hang on the fittier I am, the healthier I am, the greater chance I have of being able to ward off and fight off a lot of viruses. You're not going to fight off every virus. That's that's impossible. But you'll fight off most. Or you give yourself a fighting chance. But when you don't, when you're not healthy and fit, when you're not told you need to eat healthier, you need to exercise more, quit the fags, give up the drink, well, you, know, you, you become more susceptible. 
and the more susceptible you become, the greater that you know the greater um the greater the narrative is in terms of what you're buying into. Now, COVID's been around. And I'm probably going to curse myself. COVID's been around for two years. I haven't met anyone that has COVID, and that's a fact. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying there are people that, have, that haven't had COVID, but I haven't had but I haven't met anyone that has it. Well, I've only recently, just like literally in the last week, had one of my in-laws. Actually, three of them, three of my in-laws in the same family. So, uh, uh, what the wife of my brother-in-law and their two kids tested positive. Mm. Okay, but it doesn't mean they've got it. They just tested positive because, let's face it, the PCR test is not a measure of viral load or anything like that. But um, that was the first instance I had of someone actually saying, "Yes, I tested positive for the whole." Well, look, look, yeah, look what happened last year. I mean, throughout last year and this year. So we'll, we'll go. So let's examine the issue around PCR testing and rapid antigen testing. Now, so I'll paint you a scenario, and I'll let you make up your mind. So PCR testing was always described as the gold standard, the gold standard, the gold standard. And rapid antigen testing was always condemned by the major pathology groups, by the chief health, med chief health medical officers, and by government. Now, with PCR testing, the objective is, is that you, you go in for a test, then you've got to self-isolate until you get until you get your results. Now we know from experience, because this happened last year, that there are people, and this year, there are people when they got tested, they didn't go home, they went out. Now, if you have COVID and you're not home self-isolating until you get your results, and the results come back within 24 to 48 hours, for example, what do you reckon is going to happen if you've got COVID? You're going to spread it. Correct. Now, with rapid antigen testing, for example, it tests and it gives you an immediate result in 10 to 15 minutes. So you automatically know if someone is tested positive or they've had it. So if they, if they test positive, you can lock down a particular area and say, right, you, know, you need to go home straight away. And you put the protocols in place. So why would it? And this is only the cynic in me again. But why? Why? What purpose would it serve to deny access for rapid antigen testing into the market up until July this year, July August this year? Now you had the pathology groups at every opportunity poo-poo a rapid antigen testing, say they're inaccurate, they're unreliable, they don't work. Because at every point, when every PCR test nets the pathology groups roughly around about $110 as a rebate. Right? Yep. Now, in a 12 to 15 month period, for example, there was over, up until July this year, I think there was 35 million te PCR tests conducted. Now, if you do if you do a quick calculation, yeah. the pathology groups are earning billions. Hmm. Billions. It was an economic model that they didn't want disrupted. And you know why? But you know why they brought in the antigen test in the end? I'll guarantee. I mean, I have no proof. I have no proof that this is the reason why, but I do know that the... the, the foundation for which I build that argument on is true. Would you like to know one reason possibly why they brought in the antigen test in the end? No, well, I'll tell you why. Go on. Because when it hit Sydney, New South Wales, the media there, the, the, the decision makers within the media didn't want to be locked down. So they wanted to move to have it come in. And that was the motivating factor, which I think brought about its rapid, introdu you know, rapid introduction. And that was the basis of what, I, what, I, what I genuinely believe. I, I, I'll, I'll buy that one. That's good. I'll give you another one. Hmm. 
one of the agents they needed to perform the PCR test, not that the PCR test is accurate, but one of the agents they use on the PCR test, they didn't have enough of them. You remember that period uh, earlier in the year where there was a sudden spike, a huge spike, Delta, uh, not just the beginning of it, big spike in New South Wales and Delta. Yep. New South Wales Health didn't have enough of the agent to do the test one for one. Yep. So what they did is they combined eight swabs in one test. And if any test of eight swabs came back positive, they would test the eight individually, by which time they were, of course, already cross-contaminated. Mm. Now, I know that to be fact directly out of a laboratory. Okay? Mm. So I imagine another reason behind it is there was this huge thing and they needed to bring the numbers down. And they can't mm. bring the numbers down if they continue to do this. They all have to get rid of the agent. They have to have a different test. Yeah. And when they brought the antigen test, rapid antigen testing, the numbers started to come down. Yeah. But you can see how complicit government and the chief of medical officers were in allowing COVID to spread. Because yeah. if you were genuinely wanting to contain a spread, you wouldn't run with the economic model of, oh, well, we're going to stick with PCR testing because it's a gold standard. Because rapid antigen testing is almost equally as, as accurate by about, you know, plus or minus two, you know, 2% as PCR testing. Mm -hmm. Now, much. Well, and both should be used in conjunction with each other. But to allow it to go for so long, where you allow pathology groups to make billions upon billions, you've got to ask the question, once again, what are the decision makers within government thinking of doing? And why were they, why were they, letting it, why were they allowing it to run for so long without trying to contain the thing and contain the spread and had people remain locked in their homes in prison, borders locked down, families separated and destroying economies. So until someone can explain that... Well, I can explain the economy one, but we need longer than we have. Um, I mean, because exactly why? Why are they why are they spending money so indiscriminately? That's right. Yeah, and none of it make and none of it makes sense because it's policy making on the run, and you've got bureaucrats dictating the science. It's it's sort yeah. of like they've just been given a carte blanche credit card. Go and spend whatever you like. And there you go. You know, so you know, I think up until about August this year, the pathology groups in total, earned about $6 billion. It's a huge amount. Crazy. It's enormous. You know, and, and then you, you, you pile on, you know, and that's, and that's why, and that's why you have, you ask yourself the question, the level of complicitness in terms of allowing this spread to take place without working to effectively want to contain it. And then you hear, you hear arguments around ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. You know, people talk about ivermectin, oh, it's a sheep dip. Okay. There have been a whole range of studies, peer-reviewed studies globally, which talk about the effectiveness of, of ivermectin mm -hmm. or about the effectiveness of, of you know, hydroxychloroquine when used um, in appropriate um, combinations. But yet the conversation was never been into to explore it was just immediate demonization. Hmm. Well, Professor Brody, the Australian professor, he came up with his triple therapy, which the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh used, and 290 million people later is COVID free. Well, that's right. And, you know, it's an anti malaria, right? So, and, you know, you've got ivermectin, for example, that was, um, you know, that won a Nobel Prize in, in 2016, proven to work across a whole range of medical issues. Proven safe, yet you had narratives like, "Oh, it's it's dangerous." Really? For forty years, fifty years, it's always been safe. 
oh, it's sheep dip. Well, I mean, you, you, know, you, you, you know, you hear people that have used it and taken it, they've been able to overcome the effects of COVID within two days. Yep. So, so how, do you, how do you discount their experience? Well, I can show you, show you an article from a German piece of German research into dandelion extract, which apparently blocks the spike proteins from entering the liver and lungs and the kidneys or lungs and the liver mm. from COVID. Yeah. Why are we not spending billions on that? Right. Hey, one, one last thing I want to ask you about, because I know you're, <laughs> you're short on time as well. No, that's okay. Uh, Look, I'm loving the conversation. It's fine. Fantastic. Love it. Thanks, mate. So uh, what we've seen throughout this whole thing is a whole bunch of independent journalists popping up. I mean, uh, um, the Informa TV is, is relatively new, and one might claim that they're independent. You're an independent organisation. I guess you are. But what, mm -hmm. do, what are your thoughts on, um, on not necessarily commenting on some of the major players, but on the just generally in, in, in terms of the independent journalism, which is starting to swell within all countries, but also here in Australia? Look, look, I think now there's never been a riper time for um, independent media to flourish. I think what you're seeing is a great migration from um, mainstream to independence. I think you, you're finding people have now said, enough is enough with the lies the lies and the misinformation and the consistent bullshit that's being that's being peddled to move away to an independent news source where you know people now have a voice their you know issues are challenged in greater depth and that's what the informer's about i mean the informer i, I set it up because i wanted to broaden the narrative around around how news is covered, the voices that are heard. Because look, as journalists, you tend to go to one particular expert, for example. So, you know, you, you cover, you know, you go to one, one expert and they suddenly become the same person that's being rolled out across all mainstream. And that narrows the narrative. You know, I wanted to broaden the narrative, broaden, you know, broaden the voice, have a whole range of um, have a whole range of different experts that we can call on, where we could, who we could talk to, who who could give a different opinion. Where you're not just going to one particular voice, but you're going to a whole range of voices and cover a whole range of issues that mainstream may not tackle. Where you where we'll tackle the whole range of it. We'll tackle the same issues, but we'll also look for different voices, different opinion, and you know, throw it open to the public. One thing I've noticed from what you guys are putting out there is it's very well. Some people say it wouldn't be very balanced, but from my perspective, it's very, very balanced. Um, it's not slanted too yeah, much. Look, look, our, look, our objective is always to be extremely balanced. We look at both sides of the issue and we present them, and then we leave it open for um, people to make up their mind. What we're not fearful of doing is challenging the narrative and challenging the issues, and you know, and I, and I think that's that's growing greatly in terms of um, how we're being perceived. Uh, and, you know, I mean, look, when people jump on and they jump off, I know we're doing something right. You, know, yeah. you can't please both sides all the time. However, you know, when, you walk a, when you walk a middle path and you try and be as balanced as you possibly can with a clear objective in mind, but, you know, it's, your, it's the role as a media organisation. Well, I think um, to me, too many organisations have become political commentators and journalists these days. And when you ask, I, I personally believe, and well, from the way I, I take things myself, even if there's a journalist who's a real journalist and who asks questions and, and uh, reports a narrative which may not be um, aligned necessarily with mine, but if they ask honest questions and they drill and they don't let people get away with crap, I at least respect the fact that they've done that and I respect how they bring it. And I can then respect the story they've brought, irrespective of whether I agree with it or not. Hmm. Just to um, bring a single-sided, politically-based narrative is, uh, is no longer journalism, it's prestitution, basically. Well, look, 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 and I, no, look, and I agree. Look, you know, look, the, the Informer's been going for two years and I think we've been doing some really, really great work. You know, we're still growing. 
you know, we're we're continuing to grow. You know, we're looking for you know ways. To, you know, have we continued to monetize? Have we build our supporter base and our following? And it's you know it's exciting times ahead. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a changing media landscape out there. Same. If anyone's watching, they want to look at us. Informer.tv. Sorry, theinformer.tv. Go and check that out. So, um, and uh, it's predominantly Australian coverage. Do you have plans for international? Oh no, no. We we cover um, global issues right across the board. Um, you know, our following is huge overseas. It's huge in Australia. It continues to grow. You know, we're found on LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Twitter, um, Facebook. Um, you know, and we're expanding across other platforms as well. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, well, you know, we're getting there. You are. And I'm, I expect we'll be seeing you on uh, on uh, maybe less mainstream channels like Rumble and YouTube and stuff like that very soon, or? Uh, yeah, we've got, we've got plans to expand onto those platforms as well, so. Excellent. All right. Because uh, one, one place you won't find mainstream people is on YouTube. <laughs> we, we, we do still have a channel there, but... Um, we don't publish there anymore because it keeps getting taken down. Uh, George, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I've been really appreciative and especially have someone with your experience in journalism on and talk about the stuff that's important and, and, and get your perspective on it. has been, uh, been uh, absolutely amazing. So thanks for taking the time on that. I really appreciate right. it. Thanks for having me on, Paul. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And so everyone, if you're... Um, you want to find out more about uh, George and what his team is doing at the Informer? Go to theinformer.tv. No, this is not a paid ad. It's just go and check it out. You want independent, real media, and real journalism. Go. I think you can sort of sense from the interview today that uh, uh, George is just upfront and honest, and there's no uh, there's no uh, fluff or bullshit about it. So go if that's the sort of news you want. Go and check that out. And uh, you'll find us, mainunstream.com, obviously is the best place. And there's a new Telegram group. Go and subscribe. You get all the laser stuff all the time. Yeah. Can I can I make one call out? Thank you. Please sure do. I'm... Yeah, go for it, mate. You've been you've been so generous with your time. No, no we've thank you very much. We've um, set up a GoFundMe page. Oh yeah. So so if if people can hop on and uh, go to our GoFundMe page, and no donation is too great or too small, um, any support will be. Um, Greatly appreciate it. Well, tell you what, mate, if you want to pass me the link, I'll make sure that finds its way into the description. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, so by the time you're watching this, guy, somewhere down there, there'll be uh, there'll be a link to uh, to the Informer TV GoFundMe page. Go and support and uh, support all the great work they're doing. All righty. Thanks, very much, everyone, for joining in. And um, leave your comments, and we'll get back to you. You might see this on wherever you see this, LinkedIn, Rumble, website, whatever. Look forward to uh, reading and responding. Have a great day. And George, thank you so much again, mate. Have a fantastic day and a fantastic weekend. You too, Paul. Thank you very much, and thank you, everyone.